Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kelly. I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, songwriter extraordinaire Dan Wilson. Dan shot to fame in the 90s with the band Semi Sonic. I was a massive fan of Semi Sonic back in the day. Who can forget that single, Secret Smile? Oh, love, love that song. I'm with Ron right now, Ron, our producer. Ron, what a song Secret Smile was, eh? That was a great song, it was a great album as well. Great album, many, many great tracks off that. But Dan has went on to become a hugely successful songwriter as well, writing songs for many different artists, including the likes of Taylor Swift and Adele. We're going to talk in detail about his time with Adele, his time with Rick Rubin. This is a fascinating interview, very, very insightful. And I got to sit with Dan for over half an hour to pick his brain about music, pick his brain about songwriting. And I've got to say, and I'm not just saying this for effect, I learned a heck of a lot. Dan was playing at the Electric Circus a couple of days ago through in Edinburgh and I was invited through to interview him. Uh, just before his sound check, we took a five-minute jot down uh, Prince's Gardens, Prince's Street Gardens, round about that neck of the woods, Ron. Um, we found a little courtyard place, and it was a restricted area. They didn't, you weren't supposed to go in this bit because they were chopping down trees, but us being the rebels that we were, decided to go through. And it was fascinating because people were walking past. It's a little bit noisy as we record this, but it's all good. As um, we were recording the interview, people were walking past and he's telling stories about how he wrote um, Someone Like You by Adele and all these different songs. And I'm thinking, if anybody, nobody's aware of how good this guy is and who this guy is and the songs that he's responsible for. Fascinating interview. This coming Saturday, just completely off the point, Saturday the 18th, I do believe, Ron's going to be there. I'll be there. I will be performing at the Griffin in Glasgow, uh, Sucky Hall Street is part of, it's an Ox Jam extravaganza, you heard me talk about it in the podcast last week and the week before probably, but get yourself down there, it's going to be nothing short of incredible, and it's £6 a ticket, All more information on scottcowie.com, that's my uh, latest solo gig that I'm doing, right, uh, also on the 20th of November I am playing at Sandy Tom's DVD launch, that's a drum gig, I'll be behind the kit for that one. And that is in the Half Moon in London, and I'm remembering this off the top of my head, Ron. And for more information on that, you can go to sandytom.com. In fact, do you know what? Go to scottkerry.com, and I'll put up links for that gig as well. Just stay in my site, and while you're there, have a listen to the other podcasts. But don't click off this one, because this one's brilliant. You can also listen to this, if you, you might be doing this already, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud. There's an app for all three of those. Get yourself involved. Best thing to do is the thing that Ron has done. He has subscribed to iTunes, which means one thing. He gets this podcast each and every week for free. It lands on his phone, so he needs to pick up 
his phone, get his headphones in, and the first voice on a Thursday morning that he hears is mine. Ron, is that not a beautiful way to live your life? It's the best way to live your life. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Dan Wilson on the podcast. It's going to be a good one. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast. We're sitting in a little courtyard type place in Edinburgh. I don't know where we are. I don't think we're allowed to sit in this little bit, but I'm with Dan Wilson. It's a Wilson restricted area, but we'll just give, take our chances. It's a restricted area, but we reckon we're going to get a lot more listens if we do get arrested um, at this part where they're supposed to be chopping down trees, apparently. But Dan, <laughs> how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm loving Edinburgh, that's for sure. Yeah, you were telling me that you've had a, a well, nearly 24 hours now to soak mm. up the scenery. Yeah, beautiful. It took a long... Well, I tried to say a wee hike, but I'm going to say a long hike uh, up the mountainside and it was just amazing, beautiful. So you played in Scotland a couple of times before, what are mm-hmm. your memories of that would have you played? Uh, good memories of, uh, the uh, is it called the Corn Exchange here? Corn Exchange, yep. A um, couple of shows in Glasgow. Uh, uh, just good, just really good times, good memories. I liked it. I'm glad a lot of people from your part of the world can't understand a word I'm saying, but you seem to have grasped it straight away. What are the Scottish crowds like generally? Well, um, it's interesting. I, f- I feel like I, sometimes I come to UK and perhaps, like in Manchester was the last show. I have a difficult time understanding what people in Manchester are talking about sometimes. Yep. So I assumed that they would also have a hard time understanding me, but it's not how it works. For some strange reason, I'm allowed to talk with my Minnesota accent, and they're fine with it. And they talk, and I go, "Huh, what?" But yeah, the, like the the, I just remember the, both the Glasgow trip and the, and the Edinburgh show as being, very rockin', but, not in a scary, dangerous way, but just in a rockin' way, like very kind of joyfully dangerous it was cool joyfully dangerous that's the title of the next album i do believe (laughs) so tell us about the tell us about the new album obviously you've been doing a whole host of things in in recent years but tell us about the the latest album yeah well i did i i i have this the new album is called love without fear uh it came out a couple of months ago Uh, it started maybe four years ago i do this thing every couple of years every three years i guess where I write a song every day for at least a month, a complete song, beginning to end, and um, it's 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 sort of a art school kind of practice, I guess, but it's also often been the source of really great stuff. It takes about a week. The first seven songs kind of suck, and then it gets a little deeper and a little deeper, and then I go crazy in an interesting way. And I did that in uh, 2010 and wrote 35 songs, six or seven of which became kind of my personal favorite songs for a while. And those became the, the, later when I figured out what I was doing, they became kind of the core of this album. I moved to LA. I lost a couple years just uh, re, I don't know, what's the word, reorienting to my new environment. And uh, then when I had sorted out my community and found my players that I love and friends that, you know, in my community to play on the record, I set up sessions and we did the record with those songs and a bunch that I'd written in California. 
You said in the first seven days you write a song and you find that they suck. Yeah, they're kind of, kind of bad. You, do you know that they suck? Do you have a little listening committee? Do you have three or four fr- friends that you play it to? Mm. Do you have, or do you know straight away if you get a good idea? Do sometimes when you think I've written I've the best song I've written in years and you get feedback and people say what you're talking about? What's the feedback like? It's funny. Well, I, I know not to trust myself totally on the day of the writing of a song. The day I write a song, I'm usually all enthusiasm. Every once in a while, on this, like if I do a song a day, some some days I get busy and I, or I have a long session producing or uh, playing or something like that, and it might be 11 o'clock and I'm and I go, oh, I need to write a song before midnight. So I write a song and I kind of know this is sort of a crap song, but uh, you know I'm going to get it done. Every once in a while, though, those turn out to be the best thing. And then other times, most of the time, if I have a session, I think the thing I'm working on is like the best thing ever. This is the historically greatest song ever written. And it always takes me a week or so to maybe get a realistic picture of uh, where, where it really stands in world history. <laughs> and uh, I think my, I can almost imagine playing a song for my friends and I know right away what it, whether it's good or not. I just picture giving someone a copy of it and I can already tell if I really like, if it's really good, but I, I do have a couple of friends that I play for, yeah. And you, you obviously rely on their opinion. But what I'm interested to know: do they give you feedback and say, do you know what, it's a really good song, but it's not for you, or do you already know when you're writing a song that it's you can see yourself singing that? Or, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's an interesting thing because it's been part of my kind of journey. Uh, I really have been trying to make sure that everything I do. I could imagine singing for an audience, even things I do for other artists. Um, that's a, that's been an interesting kind of simplification. I, I don't really want to have a couple of different sets of values in songwriting. I know I have friends who do this. They write a pop song and they're like, "Okay, now this is going to be really cheesy. We're going to write a really cheesy song and we're going to write something, you know, for the pop marketplace and." And they somehow manage to put on a different set of musical values, and I just can't understand. I don't get it. I don't know. How, I don't know how anyone does that. And I've tried it a few times, and it's never borne a fruit. It's never been helpful to anybody. It's never led to anything good. So I kind of decided several years ago I was gonna. I was just gonna only have one set of musical values. It's. It's, it's not necessarily a formula. It's more like does this make my hair stand on end or not does this do I feel scared and weird in the presence of this song must be good Mm -hmm. that's it how did you start writing for other people obviously we all know the history semi-sonic hugely successful but did somebody approach you did you approach someone else how did it take place I tried for a while in uh, my hometown of Minneapolis I tried for a while in the late 90s I was kind of coming into my own as a writer I was sort of figuring it out I was figuring it out how to write a really good song that felt true even if it was a little bit false I could figure out sort of like someone who writes a novel it's got to be s- sort of from your own perspective but you can change some things you know and I and I kind of figured out the secret to that around then and I started thinking I want to be like Carol King and uh, Jackson Brown and you know Lennon and McCartney people people who would write songs with various partners and 
I thought that must be an interesting thing to do. And I, I, before then, I had only worked with within bands, you know. Um, so I put the word out, and I finally it took a long time for anybody to say yes. Finally, my publishing company, my friends in Minneapolis, didn't want to write with me. They made them too uncomfortable. They, they were not interested. But finally, my publishing company put me with this uh, artist named Beck Runga. She's from New Zealand, tremendous singer and person. And we wrote a great song that ended up in a movie, and that was my first co-write, and it was like, the movie was a hit. It all seemed very easy suddenly. Um, and then my second co-write I ever did was with Carole King by a f fateful kind of random circumstance of friend of a friend. Uh, we hooked up to write a song for the third Semisonic album. And we wrote a great song. And it was really uh, like a master class. It was really tremendous. And I think that, I mean, you know, that's a lucky break. I, I, I know a lot of people who've tried. And then I, then I did a lot of shitty songs with people, that, you know, trying to learn how to do it better. If you don't have Carole King in the room, you have to work a lot harder. You're not going to get as lucky every time. You know what I mean? So, so um, I did go through then sort of a almost an apprenticeship period. I went down to Nashville every six months for about five years. I learned a ton about their ethic, which is let's finish this bridge because if we can get this bridge done by 4.30, I can make my tea time, get a little golf in before dinner. They're very like work-a-day mm -hmm. about it. You know, mm -hmm. they, you just got to get those last couple words of the bridge written before they have to run off and play golf, you know, and that's that. A different mindset. Different, different very different, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's work a day. It's it's a blue collar. Like we're we're blessed. We do this for a living. This is amazing. Yes. Now let's get going and write a whole song. You know, it's 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 almost like a more reverential attitude, even though it seems kind of work a day and and less magic oriented. Mm -hmm. It's more reverential because it's like. What are we writing? We're going to write a half a song today? This is our job, man. Come on. Mm -hmm. We got to write a whole song. You know, this is like, you, what? You're so lucky you can just not finish things? Mm -hmm. Let's just finish this. It's cool. Everybody says the standard out there is unbelievable. Is that the mm -hmm. case? Well, yeah. I mean, from day to day, if you're writing 200 songs a year, they're not all going to be good. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's a funny thing that happens in Nashville that I don't really think about too much. But it's interesting. You'd be halfway through writing a song and the people, the other person on the session with you is starting to go, I think this is for, I think this could be for Tim McGraw. I think this is for Luke Bryan. I think this is, you know, they, they start to, they start to tailor it for a voice that they're imagining in their head. Right. And that's interesting to me. I never do that. I'm not so good at that. This is my observation of songwriting. You tell me if I'm wrong. This yeah. is what I think. The two hardest things about writing a song is, first of all, the chorus it needs to be the be-all and end-all. Mm -hmm. The chorus has got to be great. Mm. And secondly, what happens after the second chorus yeah. defines yeah. is the difference between a, a really good song and a great song. Yeah. Is yeah. that anyone the truth? Do you disagree? If, if so, what's your thoughts generally? Yeah, well, uh, that's... Yeah. The, there's the sort of the, the question, if we can get into, like, technical questions about music there's the thing about bridges like the middle eight what you guys call the middle eight where does that go like I've had some pretty good luck with songs that have no middle eight a couple times I've put the middle eight before the second chorus and then the song is done 
Mm. You have two courses. That's it. Mm. That has worked really well for me. That keeps things short, you know. Mm. Um, sometimes I feel like the middle eight, you know, it becomes kind of a music craftsmanship exercise. Like, now we have to come up with a bridge, you know. It's right. not a lot of songs have, like, life is very short and there's no time. I mean, that's that middle eight could be other people's chorus, mm. you know. Rick Rubin once told me, if the middle eight or the bridge is uh, not the best part of the song, then you need to take it out entirely. Right. You need to actually outdo yourself. And sometimes I feel like people just, after the second chorus, as you said, they go, oh, well, we better write a bridge, and they do some kind of lame thing that's not that awesome. It's almost like they forget to keep the fire burning all the way to the end, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. As for the first thing, the chorus, I don't know, because... I try not to get into a thing in a session where we're like saying, oh, now we need to write a smash chorus, you know, and people are, the, the writers get into a, like chasing an idea. I try not to get into that. I try to like think, okay, what is the message of this idea that we're presenting? What's the message? What would be an interesting thing to say about the message? And what do we need dynamically? Should we do something higher? Should we do something lower? Should it be, you know, what should, what needs to happen? Because sometimes you don't know, you, you might be working on what you think is the chorus, but it turns out that the another section of the song is is the chorus. I try not to think of it too much like, okay, now is time to write the great chorus. Hopefully it happens, but not so directly. What else did you learn from Rick Rubin? Rick Rubin. Uh, so much. Uh, I, did, I didn't. I didn't know him until you said there that you worked with him. Yeah. Was that in Semisonic? Was that different? Rick uh, and I, basically together, produced my last album, Free Life. He put me with the Dixie Chicks, after that, to write songs, and we wrote seven songs on their album that he did with them. He um, introduced me to Adele, and suggested to her that we write together. She she didn't. I don't. I don't think she thought it was a great idea. I think she thought it was an okay idea. And Rick was like waving the flag and jumping up and down. You've got to write with Dan. So I credit him with that. Um, he's he's, he's a, one of my biggest fans. So what did I learn from him? Let's see. Um, Before you say that, yeah, that's on. not a bad thing, is it? Oh, Rick no. Rubin's one of your biggest fans. <laughs> you know that you're probably going to be doing all right. It's kind of an ego trip. Oh, fucking I imagine. Mean, he's got like a great he's track Rick record of taste, you know? He's Rick Rubin. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to, hard to argue. It's funny because we don't always agree on everything. Like, like, he really is a radical simplifier. Like, I'll come up with a song and I think it's really, really simple, and and there'll be one little clever twist in the whole thing, and he'll he'll key into that. He'll say, "There's one part of the song that just doesn't quite work," and I'll go, "Oh no, it's I know what it is. It's the thing that I think is clever," and he'll name the thing, and it's always the thing I thought was clever. He just has a, he wants to get rid of anything that isn't super simple or streamlined or really emotional anything that has to do with craft he or cleverness or like your musical knowledge you know it, you, sometimes it's hard not to indulge mm -hmm. but when he hears those things he makes a kind of a face that you might make if you were changing a smelly diaper you know he makes this kind of ugh, you know stinky poo poo face that like he doesn't can't help it he just he'll hear this thing and he'll go ugh. Not nice. 
he's a he's a he's a great um uh he did here's something i learned from him he has a way of talking about things where for example uh we're talking about bridges there was a song of mine where the bridge got very elaborate in the chord changes and he convinced me uh he somehow, he somehow has a way of making you f continue to feel good about yourself while he puts one of your decisions into question. And it's almost like that bridge is getting in the way of everybody knowing how awesome you are. Got you, right. You know? Right. <laughs> and he leaves, you know, you leave him feeling great about yourself. Like he just has a natural way of like bucking you up to do more work. So he's, and he's, he's a great man manager. He's a, he's a personal, like he's a, he's a inspirer and he gets people to work really hard. He gets people to try again and again and again. Mm -hmm. He says, um, did you do that string quartet version of the song that I suggested? Mm -hmm. And you say, yes, let's listen to it. He says, yes, let's listen. You listen to the song. He says, that was beautiful. So what do you think? Do you like it better than the original version or do you like the new string quartet version better? And you say to him, actually, I still like the original version better. And this is after like you've gone to all the trouble of doing a string quartet version of the song. You say to him, actually, I, I like the original version better than the string quartet version. And he goes, me too. We'll go with the original. But he's always willing to like turn over that last stone. Like, let's do one more version and see. Fascinating. Yeah. He introduces you to Adele, as you said. Yeah. Tell us about this process and what Adele, what was that like? He introduced me to Adele and suggested we write songs. I got together with Adele in a studio in West Hollywood. A uh, very small place. It had the three things that I like in a studio, which is one, it had a window, it has a grand piano, and a high ceiling. And also I had worked with the engineer who is the house guy there, and he's really, really good. So Adele and I got together. She played me uh, about 40 minutes of YouTube clips of Wanda Jackson, the rockabilly singer from the 50s. And um, that was a very interesting experience. And then we um, talked about other music that we were digging. And then she uh, told me a sad story and we wrote a song about it. And she had the first four lines of the song written. And we, it was kind of obvious what had to happen. What was the song? Uh, Someone Like You. <laughs> yeah, we worked really hard for two days on that song. I don't know. It's funny because we worked at the same pace that I'm accustomed to working. She later told me, no, she told a, a mutual friend of ours, oh, Dan worked me harder than anyone's ever made me work on that song. It was just torture. And I, to me, it was like very normal. Like our norm, my normal way of pl plodding through it. Dan is about to tell us in detail about how him and Adele recorded that song. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. For now, I'm going to advertise some of our previous episodes. Here we go. A lot of awesome previous episodes for you guys to check out. Episode 1, we had Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. Huey Morgan from the Fun Loving Criminals joined us a week later. Then we had Sandy Tom, who I'm drumming with on the 20th of November. You heard me say it earlier in Half Moon in London. Get yourself tickets, scottcowie.com. Not sandytom.com, stay on my website. Episode 4, Brian Ray from McCartney's band, Orianthe, Bob Jacobs, who's the head spokesman of NASA, Dr. Phil Toll, who's Metallica's therapist, the Grames from Wet Wet Wet. 
just a fun fact. Graham's next door as we record this. There we go. Uh, Andy McKee joined me the week later. Then it was Steve Crowder, Cliff Goldmacker, Steve White, Martin Taylor, MBE, Stuart Copeland from The Police, Dweezil Zappa, Martin Harley, Julian Lennon, Carol Kay, Tommy Emmanuel, Kaki King, John Gom, Nick West, Thomas Lang, Rhonda Smith, Glenn Sobel, Ailey McKellar, Jennifer Batten, Larry Graham, Newton Faulkner, Jack Bruce, Antoine Dufour, Vivi Rama, Warren Hurt, Jeff Friedel, Janine Leah, Rachel Plas, Steve Gad, and on this episode right here, right now, Dan Wilson. ScottCowie.com is the central place that holds the podcasts and the vodcasts together. I also run a vodcast. Nathan East has been on that. Dave Lombardo, Carol Kay, Definity Rocks, who's Beyonce's musical director. ScottCowie.com, also available on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, SoundCloud. You know what to do. So let's talk about these two days of you two putting together this classic song. Mm. She's sitting at the piano, you get the acoustic, are you sitting at the piano? Are you are you known at this point in time when that chorus is sitting, this is a classic? Are you known that at this <laughs> point? No, 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 no idea. No, no. She, uh, she showed me a guitar riff and sang me the first several lines of a song. She actually sang me two songs. She said we could work on this and she played me the first four lines of Rumor Has It. Uh, and then she said, or we, or we could work on this. And she played me the first four lines of Someone Like You. And I said, oh, I'll take the ballad. Let's do the ballad. So uh, she had told me a sad tale from her life. So I kind of knew what the mission was to capture essentially this event that was very devastating for her. Um, we, by the end of the first day, we had recorded and finished uh, the, the first verse, the f- first chorus, and we had a general idea of what the bridge was going to be like, but it wasn't done. And we had recorded the, 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 the final chorus. Uh, second day came, we, 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 we really kind of hauled ass, we got together and instantly started working again, and we, d- we wrote the second verse and the bridge Mm -hmm. and um we just went back and forth back and forth like trying to make it better i was i i I, you know i always want things to be as good as they can be i don't want any lines that are like bullshit you know songwriter lines so we got those things to the point where they were and she sang them and her voice had this ragged sad bluesy quality that it hadn't had on the first day and we were running out of time and i said I think we have to sing the choruses again. And she said, I don't know if I can. But, and I said, no, we, we have to because you sound so different today. So she sang the choruses for me again, the second and the third chorus. And they just sounded so heartbreaking. And then we quickly rough mixed the demo and she raced off to Malibu to play the song for Rick Rubin and some other people from her label. label. And then I didn't hear anything about it for months. Months. And then an engineer played me a big soul version of the song with orchestra, drums, halftime, very grand. A friend of mine played me this. He said, have you heard this? And I said, oh, wow. And we listened and I said, okay, that's pretty cool. I don't know. Uh, I guess that's the version. 
And then a month or two passed, and then suddenly there was this big panic. Can you send the parts to the demo to Tom Elmhurst, for, who's a mixer? So I had to send the four tracks of the demo, which is two tracks of piano, her vocal, and her harmony. And I, I FTP'd it, or we transferred it, or something, to Tom Elmhurst. Then later I found out that the reason was they wanted to use that version for the record. Amazing. Hmm. Out of all the people that you've written for, has there ever been a point in time when you see that person singing the song on a big stage, do you ever think, I wish I'd have kept that one for myself? Has uh, that, that ever crossed your mind, ever? Uh, no, no, it really hasn't. I have a kind of a... I'm immune to that emotion. I've never felt that kind of regret. Plus, I kind of have a philosophy or a theory about keeping things for yourself, which is, for me, I think, if I have a session today and I have a really good idea, I'm just going to say the idea, and I'm going to share it with whoever I'm working with, famous or unknown, you know, crazy or sane, whatever they are, whoever they are, I'm going to share my, my favorite idea with them right then. Because it's a way of telling my own brain, no problem, you're going to come up with a better one later. And I fear that if I were to hoard things, you know, like, oh, I keep my best idea for the perfect session. I mean, I know people do this. But to me, it's a way of saying scarcity. Scarcity rules. And I would much rather um, say to myself, oh, yeah, let's spend this great idea right away. Mm -hmm. I just had a great idea. I'm going to spend it right now. Because... I believe in plenty, and there's no such thing as scarcity. And hopefully I'm right. You said a minute ago, when you were writing the song with Adele, you wanted to avoid BS songwriter <laughs> lines. What would some of those BS songwriter oh, lines oh, oh, be? Oh, wait a minute, so do I have to call myself out or other people? Um, just in general, because <laughs> I need to know that I'll be avoiding them in the future <laughs> when I'm writing Well, tunes. I don't know, it really depends. Like, Okay, I'll give you an example of me. Um, I have a song called Baby Doll that I did for Free Life and Rick Rubin's like our main interaction on that album was him critiquing my songs just as songs purely words melody dynamics Um, so I had a bridge that went um, uh, when I saw you dancing you would shine like the sun uh Something like, uh, when I saw you dancing, you would shine like the sun. And reflected in your light, I can shine like no one. And Rick said, okay, you can say that line, when I saw you dancing, only if you're actually talking about a thing you actually saw and you can picture it in your mind right now. Like, it has to be, because he said, it sounds like songwriting. And I was like, oh, man, you're right. I just kind of made that up. And he said, well, then you have to change it to something that you really can remember. So I changed it to when I saw you laughing, you could shine like the sun. And it's better. When I saw you dancing, it was like, wasn't true to my experience. And I think it would have shown, you know, I think it would have been like, you know, a moment where the tension slackens, Mm. you know. Wow. I mean, some of these things are probably things that who cares, you know, it's like, like the minutia, but... I just want to get everything right, you know? Absolutely. What songwriters uh, do you look up to? Oh, man. 
Uh, Lennon McCartney, surely, right? Yeah. I spoke briefly about them. Yeah, Beatles, of course. Um, let's see. Uh, Adele, Egg White is a British songwriter that I admire. Um, the dudes in Arctic Monkeys uh, consistently keep my attention through an entire song every time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. trait. Um, uh, who's writing really good stuff right now? I think Sia is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Hansard. Too much for Glenn Hansard stuff. Glenn Hansard is fantastic. Yeah, I liked the Swell Seasons. Um, the documentary, uh, the film? Or the, uh, the album with Low Rising on it. Great, great track. Which, which that song is like, to me, so measured and so like relaxed, but you just can't stop listening. I mean, to me, I listen to every single word of that song as it passes, mm-hmm. and I can't stop listening, and that's like a great trait. Yeah, Glenn Hansard's really, really good. It is the, we're, we're going to bore people to death with our mm. musical talk yeah. here, but he does that, the Keith Richards chord thing mm. for a guitar. Mm. You know, but that, that's really, really nice use of that. Mm-hmm. Great. And she's, they're a great pair. Love them. Um, you know, the, the, the big ones I like, you know, I really like Bruce Springsteen. I, I love Johnny Mitchell. Um, I think Bjork is, I think All is Full of Love by Bjork is one of the best songs ever. I think uh, Unraveled by Bjork is one of the best songs mm-hmm. ever. That's probably one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, Imaging Heap, Hide and Seek, one mm-hmm. of my favorite 10 or 20 songs ever. Mm-hmm. I could go and go and go. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear even more. Who would you like to work with if you haven't had the opportunity yet? Either just another musician or another writer? You might have uh, already Im- mentioned a couple I- there. Imogene Heap, I'd love to write something with her. Uh, Questlove, he's been on my wish list for 10 years. If he's listening. Please. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do something with him. Um, uh, who else is... You know, a lot. A, I've written with a lot of people that, that I probably have been on my wish list so I keep having to like I don't know up up my, you my ever wish get, you list ever get you nervous know? when you're you know you, all these people that you've you got a chance to work with at some stage you would have well no doubt you still do you've looked up to these people do you ever get nervous being in the same room oh yeah you know, when you're going to be recording or yeah. writing with yeah not I mean usually not on a starstruck level but you know wanting to deliver and yeah. like wanting to and also going in quite often with very little or like one simple idea or or sometimes I decide I'm, I'm not going to have any ideas. I'm just going to talk and we're going to... Because sometimes I have a theory about what's happening in the public vision of the artist. And as a fan, what is it that I would like to n- n- hear them talk about? So I might have some theory about what I'd like to hear them talk about, and I want to test that theory with them and talk about that. You know, are you willing to write a song about this crisis in your life? Are you interested in this subject? Because as a fan, I keep reading about it, and I would like to hear a song about it. And sometimes the person that I'm working with says, "Oh, I'm so bored. I don't want to hear about that anymore." You know. But sometimes they're, they can be prevailed upon, and you know that's a good thing. But I, I get, you know, I, I get nervous about sessions, which is as it should be. It's mm-hmm. important to me. I, I want it to be great, and and uh, it's like. You know, you have X hours to get up to the very highest level that you can muster up. You know, it's intense. 
Last thing. Yeah. Has there ever been a riff, a melody that you have clearly stolen from your head <laughs> that no one else has noticed before? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not going to tell you. Of what course, they are. I'm not. No, you know, I, 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 I did. I recently did a, a, a. I made a pie chart and put the. Uh, put the. I did an interview all on a whiteboard with drawings. Yeah, I seen this this morning actually. It, it was really fun, and uh, I, I did a pie chart. They said, "What are, What are the components of a great song?" And I, so I drew a pie chart, and it was um, joy, self hate, panic, each with its separate amount of pie. You know. Uh, uh, hero worship, theft. <laughs> you can't help it. I, the first time I brought an original song to my band, uh, Trip Shakespeare, which is my first band that had a record deal and toured a lot, and mm. we, you know, it was the first time I had sort of gotten really involved in the, having an audience, the mechanics of dealing with labels, blah blah blah. But the first original song I brought to that band, which was really, really my brother's band my song i played it for them and they all listened and then and then one of them said i can't remember who one of them said dan that's totally ripped off from a chicago song from the early 80s <laughs> and i was like oh man you're right it's totally ripped off ah oh. that must happen so much with everybody it happens. Going, oh, God, you can't brilliant it. song yeah that's, it, that's nirvana the reason you love it it's because yeah. it's by nirvana yeah i don't know i i think the only the only guardian against that is is being as true to your own original voice, your, your, your individual musical voice as you possibly can. Like, what sounds great to me at this moment? Like, really train yourself into, like, trusting that your own instinct is the, the most awesome response at any moment, which is kind of a crazy thing to do, but it's good, good for, for music. And then revising and pushing things if a melody needs a, a higher note and you're not there at the higher note then you need to revise a higher note into the melody mm. and by the time you're done like making things really as both interesting and awesome you've probably revised out the bits that are stolen you know you probably mm -hmm. just by like pushing the process as hard as you can you've gotten it to a more kind of contemporary uh, less derivative state that's my guess that's my hope but yeah every once in a while I hear one of my songs and I'm like oh I did steal that little bit from somebody you borrowed it hopefully not from a friend <laughs> <laughs> hopefully from an enemy <laughs> as long as I have any from, as long as it's from an enemy it's yeah, right. that's, that's what I would hope but I, I don't have many musical enemies I'm too much of an, uh, I'm too much of a fan Excellent. Absolute pleasure chatting with you. I'm cool, glad man. that you could understand the Scottish yes, accent. Yes, I love the questions and I understood them. Yes, it's all good. <laughs> Big thank you to Mr. Dan Wilson for talking to me at length about his career and life within music. Also, a big thank you to James Cunningham for sorting out that interview. And also to Matt, who's Dan's tour manager. Everybody was so accommodating and so nice, and I was delighted to have that opportunity. Fantastic interview. Go and follow Dan on Twitter. Check out the new album that he was talking about. I have been loving it over the last few days since I bought it on 
iTunes, also on iTunes is this podcast, it's in Stitcher Radio 2 and SoundCloud. If you're in the Glasgow area this coming Saturday the 18th of October, I will be playing at the Griffin Bar in Sucky Hall Street as part of the Ox Jam extravaganza. A lot of great acts are playing, get yourself involved. If you're in the London area next month on the 20th of November, once again I will be playing the drums for Sandy Tom at her DVD launch. Get yourself along, get yourself involved. ScottKibby.com is the central place that holds all this together. Don't forget to check out the vodcast series with Nathan East. Coming up, we have Dave Lombardo from Slayer, that's a cracker. Definity Rocks, Beyonce's musical director, Carol Kay. It's all happening, ScottKibby.com. And we have a very interesting podcast next week. Two agents from the FBI. You heard me right, we're sidetracking from the music a little bit. It's worthwhile you listening to that one. We will see you guys next week.